Thank you for visiting the Your Mindful Coach podcast. This is Mark Balser. Today's podcast episode comes from a presentation I made to a group of teachers in February 2016. One of the wonderful things about teaching is the nearly unlimited opportunities to find meaning and connection. Unfortunately, with this brings the challenge of countless missed connections, high expectations, and perhaps modest compensation. This talk should be meaningful to everyone, not just teachers, because the idea isn't to help you teach mindfulness to your students, but instead to offer simple mindfulness practices for you to stay present amongst the hustle and bustle of a typical day. There's research that suggests that simply practicing mindfulness on your own without even offering it to students has a positive impact on academic performance and student behavior even if you aren't teaching it to your students. Included in the talk are three simple mindfulness practices that you may find helpful. I also have a version of this talk with synchronized presentation slides on my website, www.yourmindfulcoach.com. As always, please let me know what you think by emailing Mark. That's M-A-R-C at yourmindfulcoach.com. Thank you. For the crowd. Okay. Well, um, good morning. Just while we're waiting for the last couple people to come, come in, I wanted to say hi and introduce myself. I'm Mark Balser, and I'm joined joined today by Gloria Shepard. Um, Gloria and I uh, study and train together, and I'm going to lead the first presentation. She's going to lead the second one. So if you want to ditch your second presentation, you'll get a completely different experience if you stick around. Um, but um, <laughs> just uh, while we're settling in, um, I'm really excited that hopefully you got to choose uh, from among the options here. So if you could just kind of throw out um, what made you choose the mindfulness presentation. Um, what was interesting to you about it? Really good for me. <laughs> really good for you. That's a big one. Um, Alejandro was just talking about the investment in students, um, and it really, we got to invest in the adults first. So this whole presentation today is going to be about mindfulness for you. We're really not going to share anything about how you can share that with your students, um, but you'll figure it out. You, you really need to um, practice it and experience it yourself if you want to teach it, but it's a great tool for self-care that can sit right next to you know, exercising, getting enough rest, um, being with friends and, and family, um, and mindfulness can sit right next to it. It's not the magic bullet and we're all going to go shave our heads and become monks and nuns. Um, it's a tool in our tool belt for self-care and stress management. Um, so my background is actually in finance. Uh, I spent 15 years running an investment firm. Um, and about, well, exactly five years ago, I lost my father. Um, and right around the time I lost my father, I also uh, had a big HR problem at my business where I had to step up my management role. And at the same time, my wife had gallbladder issues and needed gallbladder surgery. Everything was going wrong all at the same time. Uh, so I stopped sleeping. Uh, that was a bummer. I was sleeping one or two hours a night. And I tried everything. I tried, you know, 
soft music, warm milk, going for walks. Uh, I was running at 4.30 in the morning. It was all crazy, and nothing helped. Um, and I was introduced to mindfulness. And while a lot of those kind of symptoms didn't really go away, um, my ability to live in that world where there was a lot of chaos going on uh, became better. So I would lie in bed, and instead of saying, I'm tired, that means tomorrow I'm going to do a bad job at work and make bad decisions, then I'll lose my job, we'll lose our house, then we'll, you know, my kids will be destitute and so on. Um, what I was doing instead was I was lying in bed and saying, well, I'm awake, and what else? I'm awake, I'm awake, I'm awake. And while I didn't start sleeping great right away, over the, last, over the next couple of months I started sleeping better and was really engaging in my life as opposed to kind of running away from it or fighting it. So today, uh, I think we have a little bit of shortened time, but I want to give you at least three mindfulness practices that you can try out you know, uh, yourself at home. Um, so why don't we jump right into one? Um, mindfulness is a very gentle, uh, uh, kind of forgiving uh, approach. Uh, and so the job is really just to be comfortable. So let's practice for three or four minutes. Um, you might, it might be supportive to put both feet flat on the floor. Um, you know, upright posture, but you don't have to be off the back of the chair. Just really kind of center yourself, have some stability. Um, you can close your eyes if you'd like, or just gaze gently downwards. And we'll do a practice called a movie in your mind. And so just gathering the state of affairs in your body, noticing any sensations, parts of your body that feel good or, or perhaps feel a little sore or tight. <coughs> noticing the environment around you, perhaps the air on your face, any sounds you might hear. And as you become centered and perhaps relaxed, just imagine yourself sitting in a dark movie theater and looking at the screen. And you recognize it as the movie in your mind. Various images arriving, uh, various images popping up on the screen. There might be talking. There might be thoughts and feelings. You might notice thoughts like, what am I doing? I'm just too busy for this. You might see your to-do list pop up on the screen. But also notice the space between those images and thoughts as you watch your mind. recognizing a space between your awareness of those thoughts and the actual thoughts themselves as they come and go. 
There's a lot going on there, or maybe not, and that's all okay. And notice your active choice to explore this process. You might see stars appear on the screen, recurring characters, heroes and villains and angels, and the different circumstances of your life, tragedy and comedy, perhaps romance. Just taking a moment to give yourself appreciation for taking the time to explore your mind and opening your eyes to the sound of the bell. anybody be comfortable sharing anything that came up for them as part of that practice? Was it quiet? Was it loud? Yeah, please. Isn't that interesting? And that's going on even when you're not totally cognizant of that as you're going through your day. Those thoughts are running through your mind even if you're not uh, completely aware of them. Anybody else have any thoughts they wanted to mention or share? It's, um, very emotional. Like, mm. I, I don't know why, but I started crying. Yeah, it's your experience, right? We don't have time to sit with that experience and explore that experience because we're moving, moving through our day. So thank you for sharing that. Um, So here's what we're going to do today. Um, This was most of an introduction. Uh, I'll explain what mindfulness is to you. Um, We'll talk a little bit about how mindfulness works, and we'll continue with practices, um, three additional practices. So my entire... My entire family is uh, teachers, and so when I knew I was going to make this presentation, I said, tell me everything about teachers and teacher stress, and they told me a lot. And I had to go all the way back and be like, this isn't the worst job in the world. I'm about to teach here. Um, So what do we got good going uh, on with being teachers and being uh, administrators and operating folks within schools? Um, There's this Gallup survey that did a couple of years ago. Uh, And, of course, this is the survey that reported that teacher happiness is at like a 35-year low or something like that. But that was just one data point in this survey. And there's some really promising things about that survey. Teachers out of 14 professions have the second best uh, life satisfaction, emotional health, and continuous learning. They get to use their strengths every day. And they talk about happiness and enjoyment and having smiled off and laughed a lot more than any other profession. Um, So there's some great raw material 
um, in a classroom that there's connection and there's meaning. So we've got that as a great start. Um, but we're also constantly juggling. So this is where my in-laws came in. So they helped me define the job. So it's provide a safe, dynamic learning environment, customized to each student, with enthusiasm and care, regardless of time and resources. So is, am I missing anything? Kind of a, 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 a good summary. Um, so a recipe for stress. So there's a lot going on in our experience. Changing conflicting expectations, a tough schedule to deal with, and a curriculum we're expected to teach. Um, lots to do. Cultural perception of teachers, this slide right here. Uh, maybe insufficient compensation, and everything else. So let me introduce you to John Kabat-Zinn. Has anybody ever heard of John Kabat-Zinn before, just by a show of hands? So he's kind of the father of modern American secular mindfulness. And so I think he's the best person to start with for a definition. Um, his definition is mindfulness is paying attention on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally to the unfolding experience moment to moment. Um, I mostly teach with uh, adults, but I have also taught with uh, youth as well. And I've found a probably simpler definition is paying curious attention to what's happening right now. Um, that's mindfulness. Um, another way to define it is to talk about what mindfulness is not. Um, because we have this you know, conception, particularly in the popular media, as mindfulness and meditation also is just blissing out that you're cool, calm, collected, empty your mind of thoughts. And it's really the opposite of that. Uh, mindfulness isn't about clearing your mind or eliminating negative thoughts. It's, it's about connecting to them. It's not about uh, making things a certain way. So mindfulness can be easy, but it's not simple. I, I mean, if you can think of a friend who's just naturally mindful, um, it's because they do the simple things in life, and they enjoy the simple things. Um, and it's not meditation, but it can be. So any time that you're having a singular focus can be mindfulness. So you're watching your child playing a sporting event. You're reading a book that you're really into if you're focusing on that single thing. So, um, so mindfulness versus mindfulness practice. So mindfulness is like a state. Mindfulness is being here now, being present. Um, that can be accessed. So I'm not thinking about the future and I'm thinking about the present. I'm in the now. Um, and it, you know, some people are more naturally mindful than others. Um, mindfulness practice, on the other hand, is something that we can do that can literally change our brain. So there's this great science developing, uh, studying mindfulness, and that we've got all these neural connections in our brain. And when we sit and we focus on our breathing, or we focus on our body, or we focus on our thoughts, uh, or we focus on movement, that we're literally building new neural connections and strengthening connections um, that uh, can help us uh, be more self-compassionate, be more empathetic, um, and feel better about ourselves. Um, mindfulness uses the material of our life for practice. So uh, I remember I w went to Haverford College and I ran cross country. And we wanted to be like the Russians. And so we cut 
ping pong balls in half, and we put the ping pong balls in our eyes, and we, we, you know, we lied down for 20 minutes or so. And it really helped with concentration and focus while you were doing that. But when you're out on a cross-country course in a run, the ping pong balls on your eyes aren't going to help you anymore. But mindfulness, I can count my breath. I can pay attention to the sensations in my body while I'm running, while I'm in a classroom that's chaotic or hectic. Um, so we're going to try on a little uh, mindfulness practice. Um, benefits of mindfulness, particularly with consistent practice. Um, m most of the mindfulness-based stress programs are about eight weeks. <clears throat> and very, very consistent results of 15 or so percent decrease in stress and anxiety. Um, reduced reactivity, that was a big thing for me. When I wasn't sleeping, I was reacting like, oh, I need to do something to get myself to sleep. Uh, when I let go of that reactivity is when I really started sleeping again. Um, and it can really help with focus as well. Because when we're under stress, we put these blinders on and we kind of foreclose other possibilities. So fight, flight, and freeze. All of this is normal. All of our reaction to stress is normal. And it's how we're engineered as humans. We're engineered for 10 or 15,000 years ago when we were being chased by tigers. And that was a threat to our survival. So our, you know, kind of our inner brain, our reptilian brain, has an amygdala that says, this is a threat. You need to do something right now. So we're really good at seeing a stimulus and reacting right away. When a tiger's chasing us, we have to do that. We can't think, well, what? maybe it is a tiger, maybe it isn't, I don't know, because we're going to be eaten. Our threats today, for the most part, are emotional. They're egoic threats. But we have the same system to alert us of threats. So with mindfulness, we take this chaotic classroom. It says, it looks like you have everything under control, and there's a kid with a garbage can on his head. Um, and so what we're training ourselves to do with mindfulness is create a space between that stimulus that feels like a tiger's chasing us after us and our response. So my son is not very good at washing the dishes. So every time I come into the kitchen, I see dirty dishes in the sink. I think, oh, like there's a threat to my survival. And it's really not that. There's a response that might be necessary to talk to him, like, hey, you know, I asked you to do the dishes, but I don't need to act like the tiger's chasing after me. Um, I can give myself the time to respond. So um, why don't we try another reflection? This will be a little gentler. Um, but if you can think of something that kind of triggers you, a stress response that you have that's kind of repetitive that you had over your life, um, it could be, you know, uh, something that kids do, or a student does, or uh, you know, some way your your spouse annoys you, and that you usually react habitually. Um, if you can kind of bring that to mind, um, you can gaze down or close your eyes, and I'm going to offer a couple of questions that can bring up mindfulness for you. So just bringing to mind that trigger might be coming home to a dirty stink. It might be getting stuck in traffic and what your normal reaction is to that, snapping at a child, tailgating the person in front of you. And just play that out in your mind. Imagine that scenario and notice your reaction. 
And then ask yourself the following question. What am I doing? What am I doing? Is it right? Is it right? What will I do next? What will I do next? And so you might want to play that scenario, kind of press the play button and allow it to happen again, that trigger that gets you, and explore your response this time. You might ask again, what am I doing? Is it right? What will I do next? So you can open your eyes as you're ready. And just uh, perhaps reflecting on that. Um, I love that, uh, those three questions as kind of a mindfulness informal break uh, as you're going out throughout your day. Because it's really not telling you what to do. Um, With my son, what am I doing? I'm snapping at my son. Is it right? Well, I'm being a little hard on him. What will I do next? You know what? I really want him to do the dishes. I'm going to keep snapping on him. Um, but as I play those questions out over and over again, I eventually have the, I choose my own response to that situation. Does that make sense? Does that ring a bell? Does anybody have any kind of reflections on that practice that you might want to share? Please. Wow, wow. So you're really making this space. You're stretching the stimulus and response apart. Um, so they might continue to do it. it might, you might continue to bother. But you're letting them play it out um, and then responding thoughtfully instead of reacting habitually. So I love this idea of kind of thinking of myself as a, of myself as a caveman, of like, oh, I'm annoyed right now because my body's doing what it's supposed to do, but maybe in this situation I don't need to... Uh, react the way my body wants me to. Um, So our stress responses, for the most part, our stress responses are fight, flight, or freeze. So we overwork, we're perfectionists to fix this problem, kind of engage and fight, um, or we kind of get out of that situation. We watch television and eat, drink, smoke. Um, Maybe we ignore, yell, or fight. Um, Mindfulness is a different approach. It's about being with our experience. So here's a guy He might be meditating in a train station. There's chaos all around him. Um, So it's about having awareness of what's going on, exploring how it feels in your body, um, having a little balance. So right now I'm going to react, but the next time it comes up, maybe not. This time I'm going to let it slide, you know, let the dishes pile up in the sink and see what happens. Um, And just kind of understanding that everything changes. So every situation isn't going to play out exactly the same. I love this quote from Jack Cornfield: be aware of the waves and rest seated in the midst of them. So what happens to our body when we are triggered by stress? Uh, you probably know about this, but our blood moves all through our body. Our energy moves throughout our body. So we're triggered and we have this parasympathetic kind of nervous system response of all hands on deck. So blood goes to your legs so you can run. Blood's diverted from your stomach so because you don't need any digestion when you're running away from the tiger. Um, and it also drains out of our head as well. Um, so we're not as smart. Um, and so that 
gives us fewer options. Um, it causes us to have to kind of have a knee-jerk response because we're not including our um, prefrontal cortex, our thinking brain, in our response. I don't know. This is kind of jumping right in, but would you mind sharing the hand model? Apologize. Um, uh, Dan Siegel, which um, wrote Brainstorm, Whole Brain Child, has this great model of the brain and how um, we can integrate the pieces of it. So the audio quality of the hand model of the brain explanation in the live recording wasn't so great, so I thought I'd take it offline and walk through the hand model of the brain with you right now. Uh, just kind of seeing how our brain works in times of stress uh, can be helpful. It, in a sense, seeing what's happening in our brain visually might allow us to be able to change that. So Dan Siegel, the author and neuroscientist, popularized this hand model of the brain. And you can even just take your hand out in front of you. Um, and so this is a kind of a model of your brain. Your forearm and up through your wrist is the brainstem, that very um, basic primitive brain that kind of does uh, regulatory functions in your system. And then take your thumb and just place it on the inside of your palm. And that's your limbic system, your emotional system. Um, that's where we have our amygdala, that uh, stress response uh, element of our brain and our hippocampus, which does a lot of the control functions. And then our fingers, we can just kind of curl that over the thumb to make a fist. And so that's a simple model of our brain. The fingers wrapped around your thumb are our cortex, the thinking and reasoning part of our brain. And then the knuckles um, facing out uh, are an example of our prefrontal cortex. And that prefrontal cortex um, the most evolved part of our human brain is responsible for regulating the limbic system and our brainstem, and that the whole cortex is our thinking, reasoning brain. And so what happens when we're under stress is our amygdala activates, our limbic system, our emotional system, and our brainstem start um, kind of vibrating. So you can imagine your, your thumb in that fist there vibrating. And as we get more and more stressed and cortisol is going through our body, the connection between our fingers that represent our cortex and prefrontal cortex and the rest of our brain kind of disconnects. So you can imagine opening your hand and in the most extreme situations, we, we flip our lid. So if you just kind of bring those four fingers up, all of a sudden your prefrontal cortex, which regulates your emotional and brainstem um, part of your brain are no longer connected to your, your cortex. So you lose the capabilities of that thinking brain, the flexibility, the creativity, even moral reasoning. Essentially, you're activating fight or flight to keep yourself alive, whether it's a physical uh, threat or an emotional threat. And so through mindfulness, one of the things we're trying to do is bring that rational thinking brain back online bring those fingers back over the amygdala. Um, and it's, uh, to me, a really powerful model. Um, adolescents, in general, don't have very strong connections between the prefrontal cortex and the rest of the brain, the limbic system and the, the brainstem. So when they're under stress, it's much easier to flip your lid. As adults, we have spilt some connections that make that 
a little bit harder at first, but of course we can all flip our lid. And through mindfulness and through the neuroscientific research, we're starting to see that those connections between our prefrontal cortex and our limbic system can be strengthened through mindfulness practice. So that's the hand model of the brain. Back to the talk. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that concept of flipping your lid. And if you compare it to physical exercise, like you, you don't just sign up for the Broad Street Run and go in it. You train and you build your muscles in your body. And mindfulness practice, this concept called neuroplasticity that we're like changing our brain, um, is kind of tightening the connections between the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala and your brain stem so that when it's kind of your amygdala saying time to flip your lid. You got your prefrontal cortex saying maybe not, and so it's you know there's a tighter, tighter link there. So I um, we have about 20 minutes or so left. I'd love to try a more um, extended practice of 10 or 15 minutes or so of a body scan. So the typical mindfulness practices that you can do are at home. There's focused breathing. There's body scan. There's mindful movement, and there's mindful walking, um, which is pretty much paying attention as your, to your breath as you're walking back and forth. Um, and then, of course, there's all these informal practices like those three questions, what am I doing, is it right, what will I do next, and I'll send you home with, uh, with two additional practices. So again, this is mindfulness, so make yourself comfortable. If you don't feel like closing your eyes, you don't have to close your eyes. If the guidance I'm providing to you isn't working for you, do your own thing. Get up, grab a drink of water. Um, this is really meant to be for you. So I'm going to find myself a chair as well. Oh. I think I'll move this over. And so the body scan isn't meant to really accomplish or achieve anything. We don't have a big goal. We're just kind of being aware of our experience. So there's no need to try to make it certain way or judge yourself, I'm doing it wrong. If you're thinking I'm doing it wrong, that probably means you're doing it right. Because those are just normal thoughts that come through your brain as the day progresses. So um, let's take 10 or 12 minutes or so, and I'll guide you through a traditional body scan practice. And like I said, take care of yourself as you need to. So <clears throat> closing your eyes. Noticing your body in space, the weight of your bottom on the chair, gravity holding you to the earth, your feet where they contact the floor. You might bring your awareness to your breathing. Noticing the cycle of the air coming in and out. Your belly rising and falling. Noticing any sensations in your body. Aware of any thoughts or feelings that might be coming up. And you might draw your attention down to your feet, to your left big toe. And bringing your awareness 
to the left toe. Just notice anything that might come up or not. and moving to the rest of your toes, all the way to the little left toe. Now drawing your attention to your right big toe. And again, the rest of the toes to your right pinky toe. Moving along to an awareness of both feet, the arches, the heel, the top of the foot. You might sense the space inside of your foot, the volume. Moving now to your ankles. Your shins your calf, being aware of their length and shape and size, giving your full attention and focus to your lower leg. You might notice you've become distracted following a thought or a feeling, and and that's totally okay. As you notice those distractions, just gently return your attention to your lower leg, your awareness of your experience. Moving now to both knees and your upper leg, your thigh. Noticing what comes up. to your hips, your pelvis, bringing them to your attention. Just allowing your experience, whatever comes up, 
returning to your body. your abdomen, your stomach, all your internal organs. Moving up to your chest your rib cage, <clears throat> perhaps noticing the sensation of breathing, the inhale, the exhale. This process continues with very little effort on your part. might bring your attention to your heart, perhaps feeling the sensation of it beating or pulse throughout your body. Moving up towards your shoulders, an area where we hold much of our tension. You might allow that to relax your shoulders to lower. And moving down your arms your upper arm, your elbow, lower arm and forearm. wrist and your hands. Perhaps noticing the feeling of your hands and fingertips touching your clothing or each other. Noticing how that feels, perhaps warm, moist, relaxed. Moving now to your lower back, another area of tension, and just allow the feelings that come up. Moving to the mid-back and the upper back, 
through the shoulders and the neck. Moving to your jaw. Releasing your jaw and relaxing your mouth, your lips, your tongue. your cheeks. Your ears and your nose. Your eyelids and your eyes. Moving now to your forehead, your eyebrows, and the crown of your head. And expanding your awareness now to include your entire body, the breath, the heartbeat, all the dancing sensations that makes up your life. And perhaps lengthening and deepening your breath. Breathing intentionally and deeply. Then opening your eyes to the sound of the bell. Thank you for practicing mindfulness with me. I want to give two or three minutes, maybe if you can turn to the person next to you or even three people, and just share one thing that came up for you, something that was interesting or unusual, and I'll come back to the room in two minutes or so. So, yeah, yeah that's great to recognize. And, you know, don't believe anything I say. You know, believe it from your own experience of practicing it. So um, for me, like... All I do is focus breathing. I almost never do body scans. Um, there are other people who all they do is yoga and movement. Um, so find what works for you as you explore this and do more of it. It's exciting. Yeah, there's such a neat evolution. And that, you know, you do things a certain way and it's not working anymore. And you try something else. And you're like, oh, this is interesting. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's an experiment of our life. It's really exciting we get to do. I'll just wrap up with one or two more slides. Um, this neuroplasticity stuff is really exciting, but Alejandro showed slides with studies with 70,000 participants in the study. That's stunning to me. The research on mindfulness is being done 20 people, 50 people, 100 people at a time. So some people think 
that practicing mindfulness uh, grows our prefrontal cortex gray matter. I think that's probably the case, but they're also finding studies where it shrinks it. And, but directionally, <laughs> directionally, we're, we're moving towards that. We just don't know anything. We've just started. Um, and also that it might shrink the amygdala, which is our kind of that fight or flight machine. Um, they definitely know that um, it can lead to less physic, uh, uh, physical inflammation, um, so health issues. Um, and they're studying uh, decreased cortisol levels. So mindfulness meditators in particular are releasing a lot of natural oxytocin and a little bit less cortisol. The other thing is that it's regulated more. So you might have a high level of stress, but it's not like spiking back and forth and back and forth. You know, if you're a brain surgeon, you probably have a high level of stress that's natural, but that you're not like kind of subject to the whims of your, your brain. So all this stuff is bringing our prefrontal cortex back online, unpopping our top. Um, great book, Emotional Life of Your Brain. So that's pretty much it. This stuff is contagious. So like Alejandro was saying, happy, happy teachers change the world. Our, our own self-care has an impact on others. Um, I'm sure you know that, but you have to prove it to yourself. Um, there's a great study that I saw recently where they trained therapists in, my, therapists in mindfulness meditation as they were up in training. And the individuals who had been trained in mindfulness meditation but weren't sharing it in any of their therapy were seeing 30% better uh, psychological outcomes with, than those that weren't. So you don't even need to teach mindfulness in your classroom to have an impact on your classroom. Um, Willoughby Britton studied that, um, that. I can't remember exactly, but if you have a mindfulness practice but don't teach it at all, you have similar uh, outcome results in terms of academic performance and um, emotional regulation in the classroom than if you don't practice mindfulness but do teach it in the classroom. Um, so that's pretty much it. Um, Gloria has some handouts with resources. So I've got two practices for you, some great books. This presentation, all kinds of stuff, is on my website, which is called yourmindfulcoach.com. But I'm really excited to be coming here starting in March to take over Sarah Strong's classroom. So if you have any questions, um, ask her, ask Sharon, find me through this sheet. So... Um, We'll be here for 15 more minutes. I want to give you a break. Thank you. Um, and please ask me uh, uh, if you have any questions.